Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Show. Guernsey FC are back up and running and in some style. Reaction to their 6-2 win at Foots Lane coming up. We'll also look back at the weekend's Prio League action as Sylvan stunned Rovers at Port Swath. And we've got an interview with the man who placed sixth on our list of Guernsey football's top 100 earlier this year, one of the island's greatest Marathi stalwarts, Chris Dyer. A really enjoyable chat with him, a man who truly despises the old rivals. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I'm Tony Kerr, alongside me this week, Rob Batiste. Hi, Tony. And for the first time on the football pod, Simon Delery. Del, great to see you. Hello, an ambition realised. Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> we should really have given you a lip mic for this one. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've been so commentating on uh, all of GFC's home games this season, and uh, I'm sure yesterday was the most enjoyable so far. It was, it certainly was, yeah. Not just because of the result, but the performance as well, I think. It'd be great to get your, your take on yesterday's big win. Just to recap then for those who missed it, and there might have been a few lured away by an afternoon on the sofa watching uh, the F1 finale. Uh, a 6-2 win against Stainstown at Foots Lane for the Green Line. Six different scorers. They were 4-1 up at half-time. Carl Smith got them on their way uh, in the fifth minute with a, a fantastic finish. Uh, Jamie Dodd added another. Ross Allen as well. Charlton Govine before the break. And then Liam Mann in the second half. And Ben Ace sort of putting the icing on the cake with his first goal for the club a fantastic finish from him uh, Staines did nick another one uh, back right at the death absolute silence greeted that goal um, yeah so a fantastic win oh, well, I'll start with you then Del uh, yeah I mean they weren't up to much Staines Town but as we were saying before you can only beat what's in front of you and it was a fantastic performance yeah I thought um, within a few minutes even before the first went, goal went in which was after five minutes um, that Guernsey looked absolutely on top and were likely to beat this team because they didn't really seem to uh, have a, a great deal of sort of zip about them uh, the opposition but I think it was largely because Guernsey were playing with a confidence right from the first whistle that we haven't quite seen. Um, and were, I mean, they're usually pretty good in the first 20 minutes, but they, they were just completely on top, really passing, stroking it around, good movement, and um, Staines just couldn't live with it. And uh, it was no surprise at all when the third goal went in that Guernsey were uh, so much to the good. And, I, you know, there was anxiety in the Garen stand even at that point, you know, when, <laughs> when there were any faint chance from, for Staines. There was, there was people, most people went silent and then there'd be a few people moaning, oh, you know, hoof it, and, you know, <laughs> usual thing. But um, and that's it's obviously a few born. Down yeah, in yeah. There's, there's born of experience because obviously Guernsey have let so many good positions slip by this season. But Tony Vance did say at the beginning of the season that um, it was going to take a couple of months to get up and running and get up to the proper sort of uh, pace and speed and confidence, etc. And well, it's been a couple of months now, and on yesterday's evidence, uh, on, on the weekend's evidence, um, it uh, looks like he was right that they would come good because they'll give better teams a run for their money playing like that yeah absolutely and we spoke at length with Tony Vance last week Rob um yeah there has been a lot of sort of soul searching going on in the last couple of weeks off the back of a very difficult spell for GFC um but that was the, the sort of perfect tonic and it doesn't banish that chat I'm sure um, but it certainly put a few smiles on the faces yeah um as an attacking force we were pretty marvelous shall we say against some non-marvelous defending um they were they sat back right from the first whistle um, stains and just gave us plenty of space. And they just didn't seem to wise up until it was far too late, the fact that we had so much space down the flanks. Particularly Frank Tobin was raiding down there. He looks like a Rolls Royce at times, old Frank, when he comes forward with the ball. Absolutely fantastic to see. And then Charlton Govine was just weaving in and out at will, causing problems ahead of Frank. And then Ross was 
he was up top actually on this occasion, and Carl he, he sort of dovetailed really nicely with with Carlos, who was I thought had a really good game, busy game, and was everywhere. Um, Kyle Smith was a bit of a strange one there, playing wide on the left, but you know he came to the party with an absolutely brilliant goal as well. That first goal was wonderful strike, and that's the sort of stuff we've been seeing for Carl in, in the Premier League um, in recent years. You know, capable of some spectacular efforts. It was good to see. Um, but Ben Acey was my star player. I thought he was really, really good in midfield. And he's just sort of come... He's eased into this level of football when, you know, just a few weeks ago he was playing in the Premier League and, you know, he'd just come through from the under-18s. He just seems to have... He's quite capable of actually just stepping up a level um, without any fuss at all. And he seems to be improving by the game. I think you've got a real special player in the making there. Yeah, and he took his goal so well. Um, I would have hit it first time and it would have gone about 30 yards <laughs> over the bar. He took a touch on the edge of the box and just stroked it into the top corner, Dom. He did. It was a very subtle touch, but he stopped it dead and it was uh, and it put it in the perfect position for him to just have a little moment to size it up and curl it. And he picked his spot perfectly. Goal, he had no chance at all. And it's good to see that he got off the mark with a spectacular goal because a couple of GFC games ago... Um, he ran from really, I seem to remember he ran from really deep and would have scored a fantastic solo goal in the end, fluffed it at the last minute, duffed his shot. One of those where the long so yeah, that's right. The run is but, so long, they just He was so annoyed energy. with himself because he thought, I'll get off the mark with this absolutely brilliant goal. But he did actually get off the mark with a brilliant goal, but it was just two matches down the road probably and in his best game as well I mean he was so involved like you said you know it was just it just kept coming to him I was mentioning him in commentary like every few seconds it seemed and um, yeah I, I just thought the Man of the Match award was actually awarded to Liam Mahon who had a great game you could have given it to almost any outfield player really for that performance on another day Ross would have had five or six I mean he was he had a good game had a lovely goal he, he cur curled another one shortly after just was destined to the far corner and the keeper made a great save yeah I think but, if it had but, finished 10-2 I don't think that would have oh, flattered no, Tony Francis is talking about 14 and he may well be right and it's strange that the, the people the guys who were sitting behind me in the stand from Staines Town were quite open about it they were just saying oh we could have been tanked here 10, 12, and they were quite, seemed quite relaxed about the whole thing, which was really strange. <laughs> well, they were very complimentary, as a lot of clubs are, about um, the hospitality on offer. Uh, and yeah, despite being absolutely walloped, they were very pleased to be there, I think. Yeah, I spoke to a few fans in the hockey club afterwards uh, who'd come over a, a day early and were planning to stay another couple of days, and they were just loving life in Guernsey and really enjoying their holiday. So they were yeah, very sanguine about it, but uh, yeah, they clearly recognised that Guernsey had justifiably come out on top and it was certainly as you say wasn't a flattering scoreline at all and we celebrated the um, performance of a yeah a, a young star in the making in Ben AC and uh, we saw one of the older guard getting back involved after quite a while Ryan Zico Black coming off the bench at the age of 40 yeah that's perfect introduction when you've you know, say you're six five <laughs> goals up or six of that by then and come on and basically have no pressure on you I see Zico Managed to get himself involved in a little contretemps, <laughs> which is his once over the years. He just he can't hold himself back from these contretemps. It did make me laugh because he had a cracking free kick in a great position, which he put some way over the bar, and someone shouted from the crowd, "Retire, Zico," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a bit harsh. But to be um, uh, the the selection of. Zico caused a lot of eyebrow raising, but I can see where Tony Vance is coming through because, from, I should say, because 
quite clearly in a lot of games this season, we have in the latter period just failed miserably to manage a game in, in, in a good position where if you've got somebody who can do his running for him, he will hold on to the ball and provide calm, which is in all football um, is, is badly needed, I feel. You see, if week in, week out in Prio League, people are playing at a, at a speed which is far, far too good for their own skills, you know. But Ryan has always had that, that calmness about him and a good range of passing. I know, they've still got a good strike on him, but uh, going by that goal he scored against St Martins in the pre-season friendly, I mean, it's an absolute cracker. So, you know, he's still got a nice And he's looked after himself quite well. I, I, you know, you wouldn't start a game with him, but I could see... I can see the benefits of him being involved in a home game particularly, which is going quite well. And um, I was also pleased to see Glenn Letitia be so involved. Fair play to Glenn. He's tried time and time again to get into this GFC squad. And he's, you know, if Ross Allen hadn't been there all these years, he may well have got in there on a regular basis far earlier. But um, he's a good player, um, Glenn. And... um, Sadly, he's not quite, if he had a bit more pace, a bit like Carlos, really, if he had a bit more pace, he would be a really exceptional player. And he, he went so close three times yesterday to score, and uh, but he was trying so hard, and I was. I hope he gets more opportunities, even if it is off the bench. Yeah, he told me he should have had a hat-trick, but so he felt the same way about it, but um, he was certainly involved a lot in the game. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Time came on. Yeah, and he's a clever footballer, he, you know. And definitely some characters in the Staines uh, squad. Um, this is a club we've been to the FA Cup first round a few times. I, I'm sure I've watched them on BBC before, but they've obviously maybe dipped a little bit in terms of level um, from that. Uh, from those teams but um, yeah in terms of some of the names on the team sheet there was one in particular that stands well, out the, the, one, the, the, the one that really annoyed me seen. was I, I turned up and uh, my commentary is for GFC TV and uh, Ollie Tracy who d- does the camera work um, handed me the sheet and said oh sorry about the number 11 and I had a look down so I, had, I had a few minutes to practice saying Ollie Watamale in Oshinei uh, and uh, I'd got that got that licked, and then uh, the first thing I notice is that Oscar Pearson in the uh, booth is calling him Timmy, which is obviously his nickname. And then he gets substituted anyway after about fifteen <laughs> minutes, so I didn't get to say it anymore. But anyway, so I've said it now on the pod. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, a shorter name that stands out as well in that lineup. Oh, Ditu, yeah. R two D two, yeah, he's, he's playing in midfield. Yeah, with the surname D two, I suppose you're inevitably going to be. Uh, nicknamed R2, but that ended up on the team sheet, so that's how he's listed. Yeah, well, apparently, that's what it was. His name, he was named on the on the flight list as R2D2. Okay, all right then. Uh, so, and uh, perhaps he has changed his name name by Deepol. Um, these things happen. But he, I must say, I thought his battery was a bit flat on this again. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> much in the game, was he? <laughs> so that's GFC up to 17th then in the table. Still, obviously, with a few games in hand on on those around them. Um, one more home game to come this year. One more game to come, I guess, this year. Um, against eighth place Binfield on Saturday. That's before a run of eight away trips in nine um, to start 2022. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, good time to get that result. And reinforcements on the way, as we saw on the back page of the press at the weekend. Jacob Fallet's back. Uh, well, he was supposed to be back, I think, by now, wasn't he? But um, a slight um, uh, mishap with, uh, with COVID has meant he's been in isolation, but should be back soon. And that'll be a, another big boost. Yeah, I think we are, we've been lacking a really dominant aerial centre-half for quite a while. And Jacob Fallet is far, far better player than the Jacob Fallet, which was introduced to GFC um, probably in 2018 when he was still a kid. Um, he was promising then, very good in the air, you know, but he wasn't. 
he didn't have the all-round game um, that he has now. I mean, he was really quite outstanding for Sylvans last season. And um, I think he is going to be nil that position down for a long time to come. Um, and we'll presume he'll slot in alongside Jamie Dodd. And Thomas Dodds will probably move back into midfield because um, he was back. He was playing his defence on Sunday. So yeah, it's a good one. Good one to have because we are weak at set pieces. There's no doubt about it. In you know, defensively, and good sides will try and take advantage of that. Do you think GFC have lost out by having Thomas Dodds uh, go back into defence? Because I mean, he's obviously been really the number of times in a game he gets to the ball at the exactly the right time, snuffs out an attack, but do you think actually providing that kind of service in midfield is going to be uh, better for the side? Yeah, I think he's a better defensive midfielder than a centre-back, although he can cover that role quite capably. You know, he's quite strong, reads the game quite well, but, you know, he's not Jacob Fallows. Well, that's an exciting prospect. And then, then lead him, like you say, after Binfield, there's 10 of the next 12 are away. So uh, let's hope that they've all got their... Uh, COVID certificates and they can travel and yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah, tough uh, tough old start to the new year. But yeah, looking forward to the, the final home game, uh, as we say, against Binford on Saturday. Del, thanks for joining us. Welcome Thank back you. anytime. Cheers. It's not like you're far Enjoyed away it. on the uh, no. desk <laughs> over there, is it? So uh, yeah, pop in. It's been good hearing your dulcet tones on the, the GFC TV and well worth watching back the highlights for sure from Sunday if you didn't see them. So uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Welcome back. Let's move on to the Prio League then, Rob. Uh, just two games played this weekend. We'll come on to the issue of postponements perhaps in a moment. Um, but let's start with the action. Big win for Sylvans at Rovers. Quite a strange game, as you were saying. 4-1 it finished to Sylvans. And elsewhere, Rangers fought back from two down at half-time at home against Manza to draw two all. Um, just five matches left before Christmas now. So we're pretty much at the halfway stage. Let's look at those two games. Rob, you popped into both, I think, and saw, uh, saw a good chunk of them. Yeah, um, in- quite incredible game at Portsmouth when you consider the final, final scoreline because, believe me, Rovers should have been had that game home and hose by the fir- end of the first quarter. They could have been 5-1 up or 5-2 up in, in no time at all. They were carving um, Sylvan's open left, right, you know, left, right and centre in the opening minutes. Max Simpson-Cohen hit the post. He missed two or three sitters. Martin Savanon missed a sitter. And then, lo and behold, they went behind. And then, quite easily, they could have conceded a second goal straight after that. And when Miles Pengelly missed a great chance. And then they went back on the front foot again and again... Let's say Sylvans were all at sea, um, particularly down the flanks. Um, let's say Simpson, Cohen and Savanagh were having a lot of fun. Salmon Hall was curating his own issues. It's good to see him back in Prio League, by the way. Um, too good a player not to be around. Um, and as I say, Sylvans were mightily lucky to be ahead at half-time. <laughs> in the end, they romped away to win 4-1. Rovers started giving goals away. Um Ewan Melrose helped himself to a couple of goals. Thiago Rodriguez scored. And, um, yeah, it's one of those days where very little went right for Rovers, but those things happen. Then I headed up to St Andrews and arrived just before half-time to see that our Rangers were struggling badly, 2-0 down. Apparently they'd been muscled out at a number of corners. They conceded from two corners, but they could have conceded more from what I gather. But in the second half, playing down the hill, they were comfortably the better side. Were quickly back on level terms, and um, should have and nearly 
should have won won the game really. Um, it was a good, very good save from Miguel Santos late on um, to deny Rangers the third, and Finn Belnavas planted a header wide late on as well, which would have he should have gone on target, and that may well have wrapped it up. I was really struck by um, two young Rangers who I've, have caught my eye time and time again. Um, and we had young Jacques Covin, who's, I believe, may still just be 16. If he, if he is 17, it's not by much. Um, and he was introduced at the start of the season um, and he was playing in defence largely there. I think he was playing at either, at probably at fullback. He was playing midfield here and he was excellent. I think he's a real, really strong prospect. And if he if he listens to Colin Fallais, the head coach's um Wise words going forward and knuckles down. I think Rangers have got a really, really good player there who could go on to possibly in GFC and um, Ireland level. And no problem at all. And I think he's quite versatile, but very, very strong for a 16-year-old. Um, you know, I've talked before in the past about George McNeil impressing for North. Um, I would say um, Jacques is of the similar ilk. Uh, a good, good prospect for the future. And... Um, up, up front, it was Sam Heathcote, who's Guernsey's fastest footballer, because when he's not playing football, he's whizzing around the track in a go-kart. Well, I shouldn't say a go-kart, a cart, at 100 miles an hour, whatever it is, setting lap records. He is a lovely footballer to watch, very, very skillful, neat attacker. Um, unfortunately, I think he is not a front man as such. I think he, just need, he, he needs a good striker to play off which Rangers haven't got at the moment um, if he did have somebody to w work off I think he could he could develop into a, something quite special as well I love watching him he's um, a good honest player as well, well that's encouraging stuff then for Rangers uh... yeah they're, they're slowly getting there um, you know they're still bottom but I wouldn't be surprised if they did what they did last year which is gradually improve as the season goes ahead gets ahead and pull off pull off that bottom spot because quite clearly Manza or well, I, I admire the way they've stuck to the task and you know determined to basically um, stick two fingers up to everybody and 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 ensure that they played this season um, they, they're still going strong they had one of their better sides out on Saturday um, but it's probably when they lost Piers Opperford to injury um, that they started um, to lose their sort of control of the game. And, um, yeah, so uh, obviously hard times ahead for them. But they've still got some good players. Um, and, um, I wouldn't, you know, they'll win some games going forward as well. Yeah, and as mentioned before about the postponements, there were a couple this weekend. Um, I know the Alderney, big topics. Yeah, Alderney were pretty disappointed um, not to have a home game this weekend. Valrec. Yeah, Valrec were due to go up there. But Jody Bissell, the club president, um, sent out an email on Friday evening saying, basically, oh, my lads aren't going to Alderney. I wouldn't want to go up there under these conditions, so I don't expect them to go up there. Um, he, they were concerned. It was a combination of... a dodgy weather forecast it was sort of a threat of possibly sort of very low clouds sort of coming in and then getting stuck up there and then um the veil were concerned that then there was probably potential of catching covid and what have you and having to stay up there for 10 days and have to pay for it all and what have you and they were saying you know so close to christmas it was not the right thing that they they didn't want to do um so they basically said we're not going 
and they forfeited the game. And closer to us here, um, something that yeah, that drew a little bit of a, a consternation on Twitter over the weekend, the situation with Bell's match against St Martins, which has been rearranged for before Christmas. Uh, it's going to be played on the 21st. Um, what's the story there, Robin, uh, and what's your take on it? Goodness knows exactly what the story is, but I must admit, I strongly suspected at the start of last week when I, it was pouring down with rain and I saw the forecast of the week, I thought, Bells will not play that game on Saturday. And that's how it transpired. Now, you can read that as you like, really. Um, I think um, Bells are struggling for players at the moment. They've had a lot of injuries, suspensions, etc., etc. Their form is pretty iffy. To say the say the least, um, St Martin's obviously the champions. Um, we've had a pretty dry season so far, with very few postponements, and you know I think um, Val- Bells quite cleverly, I suppose you could say, um, used the fact that they had a Veterans League game on a Friday night there that they wanted to play and felt they were they should play because their veterans deserve as much attention as their pre league. Um, and then, of course, um, there was no way there's going to be two games played on that pitch in the space of 24 hours. So the Prio League game got called off. Um, it's not great at all. Um, but my own opinion about this is that it's rich for other clubs to really to complain and, about the whole thing because they've all done it many, many times in recent seasons. They've called games off to suit themselves using pitch poor pitch conditions um, as an excuse. Um, and I'm afraid, it, you know, as I say, it's sad, but I wasn't surprised at all. And the way things are with players missing at this time of year, you know, office parties, etc. I think perhaps, you know, we should be looking seriously at calling a halt to um, Premier League football early in December and having a month break um, and let, let, you know, let the bad weather go, let the parties go ahead and um, resume in January, mid-January. Well, the forecast looks pretty dry for the run-up to Christmas, so a fairly good chance that game will go ahead on the 21st. Um, we've got four, uh, four fixtures this coming weekend. North take on Manza, it's Rangers against St Martins, so St Martins in action uh, twice in three days. Rovers uh, face Alderney. And Sylvan's take on Bells. So, yeah, busy uh, busy few days for those two sides, Bells and St. Martins. Um, but, yeah, at the halfway stage, more or less, in the, the pre season. Very briefly, Rob, your assessment so far? Assessment so far is that St. Martins will win the league. <laughs> um, they still are the best squad in terms of depth, overall quality, goal scoring, great goalkeeper, good coaching, you know. I can't see anybody touching them. North have got it, the capability. Um, they've got some, you know, individually what man for man. Probably every bit as good as Martins, but they haven't got that edge, that competitive edge, which Saints have had instilled in them for quite some time. So I can't really see anybody um, staying with them o- over the long course. They may well drop points, a few points along the way, Saints, but can't really see it um, them being overtaken. Rovers, of course, they would have fancied themselves and then they lost on Saturday. I I put um, Rovers in the same category as North and Sylvans, to be honest. Sylvans impressed me. You know, if they had still had Kyle Smith up front, they would be a big, big, big um, contender 
they play some lovely football and they're well organised Sylvans and um, you know they've got so much promise for the future if they can hold on to a lot of these young players you know they will, they're going to be a real, real real force in in future years and they've got good youngsters coming through right through all the age groups so um, yeah as long as that, that, that Mike Garnett Mart, um, Martin Degare coaching combination is working a treat and there's plenty to look forward to in the new year as well club football wise isn't there we've got the we've had the WeWay Cup draw uh, last week and fair to say that inter-island club football will be as interesting as it's been for quite a number of years I'm still um, still still not convinced it's going to happen to be honest I know that the, uh, I put a call into the um, to GFA um, end of last week when we heard about the WeWay draw and it would seem that they might make it they might be making a decision on the Jeremy at some stage this week um, but obviously there's still issues in terms of travel um so we're, and the Omicron situation seems to be worsening by the day. So who knows what's going to happen? It's just really sad. I mean, it's weird that you know we're not we've said lost lost touch with the other the sister island when it comes to football. It's so long now since we've played them in anything that um and yet they're, they're you know they're ploughing ahead with the Jersey Bulls and their domestic leagues, but it just seems we've we've lost touch, and it's just great shame because to my mind, you know. Inter-island sport is the best, you know, playing Jersey, you know, getting one over Jersey is a great feeling. And I know they feel exactly the same. Great friendships have been made over the years. And um, it's still interesting, I'm going to be putting together a, um, a um, from our archives feature later this week when the prime, uh, prime foot, best footballers from Guernsey and Jersey combined together in 1977 or 78 it was and um, went off to rep- they were representing the Rothmans Channel Islands League at the time and they played um, various representative sides in the UK on a UK tour they beat the Rothmans Hellenic League and they beat the Rothmans Western League and um, we had a great side between the two islands um, Colin Fallis, big foul, was playing amongst that side, so we're hoping to ch- having a chat with him about that. But um, from all accounts, um, the two sides gone on like, really great, and they had great, you know, they, they secured lasting friendships. For once, they weren't just kicking lumps out of one another; they were actually playing side by side. And it was, um, it would, wouldn't it be great to see that happening? You know, a CI side going representing representing the islands and playing somebody decent. Um, again, I'd quite like to see it. One man who probably would not have wanted to be involved in that, it's fair to say, is Chris Dyer. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> interesting because um, Chris has got this, you know, he has got this feeling um, of not liking Jersey people. And there's many, many Jersey players I've I've thought over the years, you know, I would love to have kicked. Um, but <laughs> Chris seems to take it a bit too far. But I wouldn't mind betting, to be honest, because Chris was always a competitor. If he'd have been had the chance to play in that CI side back in the late seventies, I reckon he'd have taken it, and he'd have probably ended up liking a few. Some of some Jersey players have probably ended up his best friend because Chris Dyer is a lovely guy and he's not daft. And um, as I say, I'm sure a tour would have sorted him out. And he came in to chat about bowls a few weeks ago, which is 
where, his, uh, where most of his energy is going these days. But while he was here, we grabbed 20 minutes or so with him about his football career, a fantastic contribution to Ireland football he made, not least in Marathi terms, where he was, uh, he's only outcapped by Les Collins um, uh, in senior Marathi terms. Uh, yeah, so Captain Marvel for, for many years as well, Robin. Someone, as we say, he finished sixth in our list of Guernsey Football's top 100. Yeah, he's one of life's and sports leaders, brings people with him. Very, very strong footballer. Fundamentally, what a competitor and what a teammate to have. He knew how to work teammates. He knew how to put hands on shoulders and whisper something good in the ear, quiet in the, encouragement in the ear of one person who he knew wouldn't take a rocket. And then he was quite happy to really mix it with other players who who, did, who could take a rocket. And... Um, he was just a, a terrific footballer, somebody who wasn't blessed with a huge amount of talent but got every ounce out of his game and deserved everything he got. Let's play that chat back now, uh, Chris Dyer speaking to Rob and I. Number six in our top 100 footballers of all time. Were you surprised to be so high or would you have considered yourself to be higher? You should have been higher. That, that was really tough, really, because that, that I found that really interesting, actually, looking at the press every day, looking at the numbers, etc. and I couldn't go anywhere without people stopping me and asking me and predicting where I'd be and saying, you'll be this, that and the other. And I started thinking, I thought, yeah, footballers of all time. There's, there's been some fantastic footballers over the last 100, 100 and something years. And I thought, I don't know, let's, let's just get in the top 50. That, that, that would do me, top 50, and anyway. When I saw some of the names coming through, I thought, yeah, I could do better than this. And I thought, let's be greedy now. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's be greedy and get in the top 10. I thought, if I can get in the top 10 of the best footballers ever, that would be actually a fantastic achievement from sort of my background and where I come from and stuff. And Well, it was a fantastic achievement, Chris, because I think, I think you'd probably bear me out, but... And the old coaches in your time, nobody was said probably said when you were 15 years old. In front of you is this youngster playing at Bells, who's he's going to win 24 Marathi caps one day and lead the lead Guernsey 14 times and win all these Uptons and league titles. I mean, you made the most of your ability. Yeah, I, I think you're right. To be fair, um, it was tough at the start. I I went to so I didn't get any schoolboy. Honours at all. Didn't play for Guernsey Schoolboys or Junior Ireland. Um, I went to training sessions for those. And I was quite... I had quite a tough upbringing, really. Just, I didn't have a father. I just had my mum bless her and she did everything for me. Albeit she worked every day just to go and, you know, to get a bit of money in the house and buy my football boots and give me everything I needed for sport. Anyway, so I was quite strong-minded because probably didn't have a, a man in the house. And I can remember two years going to a junior... Ireland select coaching sessions didn't get selected and I got selected for the third year and I told them what they could do with it I said you can stuff it you've <laughs> taken the piss out of me for the last two years you're not doing it again so I pulled out of that which probably would have been my best opportunity to get in but that was just my mentality and I guess now I've probably got a little bit of regret that I didn't play junior Ireland or schoolboy Ireland but moving on from that to get one Marathi cap was just a dream come true, really. Um, absolutely fantastic. Couldn't believe it, really. It just, it just went on from there. And to go and get 24 in the end, and I think they were consecutive as well. 
Um, so the injuries sort of worked around. So I had quite a few serious injuries as well and uh, just got away with that with the timing, I suppose. And a lot of coaches supported me at that time. And following a couple of matches I played that I wasn't fit, but they knew that I didn't have to be 100% fit with my mentality because I think in those days it was, it was about determination, desire and guts, to be quite honest, and you had to be brave. Um, sometimes you weren't necessarily playing your best, but if you put the effort in, you're still good for Marathi football, and I think that was quite key. Yeah, so to answer your question there, yeah, the original question, to get to number six was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, uh, so, so chuffed. You're clearly a self-driven man in all your sport, and obviously clearly with football, but is there any individuals who actually you feel they were really key in actually getting the best out of you? Yeah, going back to my Bells days, to be honest, very early days as a mini, um, the late, great Keith Parkin, to be honest, fantastic man. Keith Parkin and, and Winkle Wallace, who's, who's still around now, but they used to pick us up to go training with the Bells minis in this little old car. There'd be seven or eight of us in the car going down to minis training, you could see the road, the car was so bad with holes in it. <laughs> and you couldn't travel around these days like that. But Keith used to pick us up and was so, so encouraging, really. Uh, can't thank that man enough, to be quite frank. I think he built a lot of this mentality into me. And I can remember I was a mini down there from about six or seven years of old age. And I went through and played junior football down there. And he always sort of singled me out and looked after me. And I can remember... He, he always played me in age groups a lot older than me. And I even played against railway players when I was sort of 14. And I thought that put, puts you in good stead. And a few times I've been knocked over and sort of trampled on, if you like, by railway players, which were thugs in those days. And it certainly didn't do me any harm. It sort of uh, gave me a good grounding. But Keith was always there. Um, I felt guilty when I left the Belgrave Wanderers, to be honest. But things arose that, that had to happen. But um, he was probably the best mentor in my early days and then of course after that went to the Vailrec and played over 500 games the Vailrec might have been close to 600 and under some fantastic coaches really we were so so lucky um yeah all good guys very supportive um I can't ever remember having a bus stop with any coaches to be honest because I suppose I was committed and you do your best for them and it worked both ways but so, yeah I've been very very lucky you know Tony Blundell down there, Ray Blundell, um, Hamby was down there, uh, little Colin Fallais, um, I think Milka was down there for a little while, Tony Smith, you know, an absolute legend really, he was always there, Tony, and he always knew what to say and what to do. He, of anybody at the Vale Record, I suppose, Tony Smith would have been the one that I looked up to most, to be honest, and he wasn't the most outspoken, but he understood the game as much or more than anybody down there. Well, clearly, obviously, Valrec won a huge amount during your time. Um, but are there any specific games and successes that stick out in your mind all these years later? One of the most memorable games, I think, was a game against the Sylvans. And I think we might have been 1-0 down and there was a quite a serious injury to Warren LePage. It was a awful leg break, to be honest. It, Awful, awful occasion. I think we come off the pitch for about half an hour that day and there was tears, grown men in tears in the changing room. We were so, so upset. 
one nil down, and there's a big crowd. It was the days that Sylvans used to bring a bus down there, and I think there was about 800 spectators down there. Great atmosphere, because it was their team coming through with the nose and etc. Vance's, they were going to be the team of the future. So they were, they were well up for it. And anyway, we were 1-0 down. We went in the changing rooms for about half an hour, coming out onto the pitch, and I turned into a madman, to be quite honest. Uh, we won 2-1, and I can remember now, Dale Blanchard put a cross in from the roadside, deep cross, and I come in to head the ball in the back of the net. I think about 10 minutes later, a similar occasion again. And their goalkeeper, Digger, who's a fantastic keeper, and he's, I think he might still be playing a bit now, he still tells me, he said, he could see my eyes, and he come out, he said, there was no way he was going to challenge me. He said that you were just possessed, like, and, and it was. It was just that sheer emotion, and let's do it for Warren LePage. And we won that game 2-1. And I still think about that game now. It's just something it takes, takes you over. Don't know what that was. Yeah. What about jersey matches? Because obviously, although jersey obviously generally had the upper hand, I mean, there were plenty of Guernsey wins in your time. Is any specific triumphs over the old oh. enemy? Because let's face it, Chris, nobody hated jersey more than you. Oh, I hate them. I still do. Absolutely bloody hate the people over there. <laughs> yeah, can't help it. It's just horrible people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Serious, serious attitudes. Yeah. Um, I just think they're better than anybody else. I don't know why that is, but this, the way they're brought up or whatever. So, but some of the Jersey, hell, Jersey Marathis, what what games, incredible. And I can remember lifting the Marathi vase in Jersey. The, I was lucky enough to lift the Marathi vase in both Guernsey and Jersey. The Jersey triumph, I can't remember the score now. It might have been one nil. I can't remember. I remember lifting up the Marathi vase. And I didn't show it to the... I still feel a bit guilty, so I apologise to all my colleagues now and teammates. I showed the trophy to the Jersey people first and I waved it proudly above my head. And that was a fantastic celebration that day. And I think later on that day, we actually took the Marathi vase to town with us, which would have been frowned upon, actually frowned upon. But and I can still remember the Marathi vase being passed around the Crown Bar above people's heads, people we didn't even know, and this Marathi bar was just being circulated around the bar. Um, I didn't drink at all, so I was a non-drinker and I was playing football for 16, 17 years. But I was the captain. I was responsible for that Marathi vase, and we all know the history of what's happened to the Jeremy Cup. <laughs> yeah. When I think, if we'd have lost that that night, I don't know what I'd done. <laughs> 1988, by the way, that was one, one nil win. Kevin Letitia penalty? Right. I would have said Carl Letitia. It's Kevin's... Sorry, Carl Letitia. Yeah, Sorry, Letitia penalty. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, that, that was a fantastic game as well. It's, yeah, because they were, they were battles. Real battles. You quite clearly have a, a passionate dislike for the, for the Reds, but are there any, were there any particular Jersey players you admired? Yeah, yeah. Without doubt. Um, you've got to look at Graham Lasseau. I would say he's the best player... I've actually ever played against and I think he left Guernsey at about 16 or 17 and the year he left Jersey he won everything every trophy available to him at senior level in Jersey and I think possibly junior level and also he won all the intrinsics which was a Jeremy the Weeway and the Marathi and he was just a class above actually class above but he wasn't a direct opponent of mine people I respected that were direct opponents and a lot of people may not agree with this, was Peter Vincenti, who was an absolute bloody animal, to, to be honest. 
and they may say the same about me. And we didn't have to give each other some kickings and punching in the ribs and all that sort of stuff. A lot of stuff happened on that pitch between me and Peter Vicente. But he always called me big man, I called him Peter. And at the end of the game, we always shook hands and had a hug. There was that mutual respect. And I like that sort of rivalry. Um, on the pitch, you hate each other. And it is hatred. But after the game, it was gone. And the other one, who was a direct opponent in those days, or just before Peter Vincenti, was Rory Crick. I think he's probably one of their best players ever, in my view. And he had this ability that he could climb for an aerial ball and you go up with him, you'd be on the way down and he'd still be up there. He could just, they call it hang, he could just hang in the hair. And he was so difficult, you had to get your timing spot on to compete with him. But he was another good competitor and he was a nice guy, to be fair, for Jersey when he was a nice guy. Uh, credit where it's due. Let's talk teammates, um, both clubbing, clubbing, clubbing for... Well, for Guernsey. You talk about Valrak and Guernsey teammates. Well, you've only got to look at the blonde or Letitia area, to be fair. Ray was just a one-off, just a, a, a one-off goal scorer. And we couldn't say much about Ray, really. He wasn't the hardest working, but if you wanted a goal and a super goal, he'd get it for you. Um, then you got Kevin and Carl. Kevin, oh, he should have made it as a professional, I guess. I mean, he's goal-scoring record. Second to none, I'd say. Um Actually, unbelievable talent, and it was talent. It was, it's a very talented family. Carl the same. Some people say that Carl was better, but not in my view. Um, it, definitely Kevin, without doubt. If ever you wanted a goal, he could get a goal, and you just couldn't stop him. We got when he left the Vale record. He went to play for North. There's been many occasions that we might be two one up with ten minutes to go. Bang bang, you lose a game three two. He just scored a goal from nowhere, just just a gift, to be honest. So he was actually a fantastic player, yeah. Um, goalkeepers, you know, we were very lucky in the Ireland and Valrick to have Chris Hamill, really. Safe pair of hands and so calm, really, just just a calming influence. And, you know, when I went back to centre-half and you got a goalkeeper like that behind you, that always made things easy, really, to be honest. Um, my old mate, Tix Bugle. What a servant to Valrec, really. Um, probably six, maybe close to 700 games to the Valrec. Not a Marathi player, but fantastic club player. Actually fantastic and a great servant for the club, but you wouldn't put him in a, in a Marathi side. Um, you, you talk about Marathi's people to play with, Kevin de Galle. Oh, what a player. What an engine, to, to be honest. Credard, he had that, he had a nasty streak in him as well. But you had that respect after the game. Um, I can remember playing with Kevin, actually, in a Legends game against, I think it might have been Aston Villa. Or was it Aston Villa? It was a Legends, possibly Liverpool? I can't think of it was. A Legends game down at the track. And I know after about half an hour, I was breathing out my ass. I was gone. <laughs> Absolutely gone. Ran my legs off. And he bailed me out for the next 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, he was gone, and the, I was his legs. And it was just fantastic to have that teammate that you knew was there for you, and you were there for him. Those things are great. And he was a great Marathi man of uh, Legi, and he got big foul as well. Eh? Big foul is another fantastic Marathi player. And poor old Neil Hunter that scored the hat trick, he'd be going to lose 4 3. And I, 
I think that Moratti, the guy that marked him, got the man of the match, which is crazy, really. But You mentioned before about being overlooked at junior level yeah. in terms of Ireland representation. How much did it mean and what, what did it feel like to then make your first Moratti appearance? Oh, so scary to, to get to get picked into a Moratti squad. And even for every 24 caps, I think, for months and months, probably at the start of the season, I'd be thinking, oh, could I get the Moratti side, get, get the Moratti side. And I felt a little bit guilty sometimes because I put the Moratti in front of club football. And that's probably wrong. And it is wrong, really, technically, but because you haven't got Moratti football without your club football. You've got to perform at your club to get into Moratti. But my mentality was, I love Moratti football. Um, yeah, so the original question was... Sorry. Well, I say, yeah, how, how did it feel? What did it, what did it mean to you then to, to, having been overlooked at junior level, to, to get the call up and, and to, to be, you know, what was it like, you know, the night before or the morning of that first Moratti appearance? Night before, hell. <laughs> it, it's weeks before, to be honest. And, um, well, did you get nervous, really nervous before a game? Yeah. Yeah, I did, yeah. I never showed him or told anybody, but yeah, I'd be nervous, yeah. And my mood would change. I've known Julie walk out the house, my, my poor wife, because um, I'd, I'd be so rude and say things to her and she'd, turn, and she'd storm off and she'd be gone and she, she wouldn't stay home. It, it, I'm not sure if I want to play bowls with you next season. Um. <laughs> but she, she wouldn't, uh, eventually, she wouldn't, the, the morning of the game, she'd go out to get out my way because I'd just change. And she'd say to me the next day, you told me this or told me that. And, <laughs> and I'd argue that I hadn't told her that. I was just getting in this zone to to play football. And it's just a bit like Joe with the, with the tennis. Something takes you over. It's, and even now, I'm 62. Not a day goes by that I don't think Marathi. And that's actually a silly thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> it's there. Every day you think about Marathi, you, you can't do nothing about it. And, you think if I had, and it's this thing about no regrets. There's been occasions against. I wish I'd have done that. I wish I'd have done that. Well, it's gone. You can't do nothing about it. But you still think about it. But when you first get picked for your first Marathi, you got a little bit of doubt in your mind because you see all these players in the training squad, and you go on Ireland tours, etc. And you think, are oh, you good enough to get in? And you get picked, and you get picked the next year. And you think, maybe that coach likes me. I'm getting picked because he likes me and one of his favourites. So then another coach comes along and you get picked again. Oh, this ain't so bad. And once you've gone through four or five Ireland coaches, you think you're not just lucky. You're not just because people like you. You must be doing a job. And uh, to me, that justifies it. If, if I'd have got one or two caps, I don't know if that would have meant quite the same because in a small environment, you could be... A little bit of favouritism, but... You started to feel like you really belonged. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I, went, I think it was Tony Blond who gave me the captaincy, and that, that's got to be the biggest honour that I've ever received in my life. And I think it was one of those occasions where the then Ireland captain, Peter Blondel then obviously, which is a fantastic player again, he got up to some misdemeanor and he got dropped for the ordinary Marathi. So Peter got dropped for the ordinary Marathi. I think Kevin O'Galley may have been dropped as well, so I got... Tony said, would you be captain for the Audi Marathi? You're not going to say no. Eh? It's, it's, as I say, the biggest honour you can get. And then a few months later, the full Marathi come around against Jersey and he left me with the captaincy. And I kept it thereafter until I retired. 
I still think that hurts Peter today now. But anyway, we actually won that Marathi. Um, but that, that's fantastic. So to be a Marathi captain with the likes of Peter Blondel and Kevin Legale and Colin Fallies and Neil Unders, all these players that are, you know, everybody else, old names, if you like, and you're their, their captain, if you like, their leader. Fantastic. So so proud. Yeah, and clearly you weren't short of motivation um, putting on a, a green shirt to face Jersey. What, what what did you, as captain in those 14 caps, what, what what sort of things did you say to your teammates? Did you, you know, in the dressing room at halftime, before the game, or on the pitch? I mean, it, I think it was more on the pitch, really. I think that's a, a big job of being a captain of, I guess, probably any sport, but particularly football in my eyes, and I'm sure rugby's the same. It's about knowing your players. There's some players you can grab around the neck and say for, you know, bad words, for God's sake, pull yourself out, this mess, get on with the bloody game and start pulling your weight sort of thing. And they respond to that. Other people, if you said that to some other people, you crucify them, you get nothing out of them. And that'd be, you know, you need every player in the team, you want nine performances out of 11 to win a Marathi. And other people, you just give a little pat on the back. God, mate, you can do better than that. See if you can help so-and-so out there. See if you can do this. Just sort of, Mummy cuddles the wrong word, but it's just treating people differently by knowing their mentality. Uh, Budlow's a perfect example. Um, he was another great player to play with in a Marathi, and he'd he want him alongside of you. You could tell him anything, and I think you could punch him in the ear, and he'd respond to that, and he'd give you more. But other people wouldn't, you just crucify him. So. Let's flash forward to nowadays, Chris. Obviously, you still... Um, keep abreast of local football and you see your godson Jake Lowe playing for St Martins on a regular basis yeah um, what do you how do you view local prayer football now uh, yeah last couple of years I've seen quite a few games actually primarily the St Martins as you say to watch young Jake play he's doing really really well at the moment actually playing really well um, I think it's picked up a little bit last couple of seasons to be honest um, I think it took a bit of a lull with the GSC um Formed, I think Prio football declined quite badly. Um, but I think with that little bit of a COVID situation that we've had, I think the standards picked up again a little bit, really, and it's get quite competitive. Um, I saw a game last weekend, actually, Alderney against uh, St Martins, and that's quite a good watch, to be fair. Um, Alderney, I know they've got a very small squad, but they've got some good players, good experienced players, but their legs have gone. They've they pass their best, but it's quite a good watch. I think the game's quite competitive. Um, I think the standard has dropped. And people will say, everybody says that is retired because it's always better in their day. But I don't think of it for that sort of thing. The standard has definitely dropped. But as long as it's competitive, I think it's got to be good for football. Um, and the GFC situation is still going strong, which is good. How do you envisage, if you'd been, you know suddenly emerged as an 18, 19-year-old now as a, a talented footballer. And Tony Vance said, come on, forget about playing Vauvel, right? I want you to play for GSC and we'll go away week in, week out. And you um, and and also realising this is a way into the Marathi team. How would you have responded? I'd have been straight there. No hesitation whatsoever. Um, and I'm not saying I'm the biggest fan of it, but if I'd have been a player, no doubt at all. I'd have been straight there because you want to play at the best level you can. And those lads have got the opportunity to do that and I think they should should do it. Um, so, yeah, from my point of view, I'd have loved to have done it, uh, for sure. I didn't play Ireland Games but because I thought the Marathi is more important than the Ireland Games in my view. 
But I'd have certainly gone for this uh, GSC situation, without doubt. Yeah, and good luck to him, to be honest. But, I mean, just last night, I watched a young lad, Alex Scott, play on TV. Um, doing so, so well as a 17-year-old. I know he had a little sample of GSC. So it just opened doors for you uh, as youngsters, because I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. So if you can get a bit of exposure in the UK, it's got to be far better than playing week in, week out against the same players in Guernsey. And I think your standard goes up as well. Um, I can remember I had a serious injury and I had to go to Arley Street for a groin injury. And part of my rehab was this fitness regime that they're given the professionals. And it's a six-week programme and I did it to about five weeks, two days. And then I broke down, I couldn't do any more because the fitness was just too much really with a full-time job. But at that stage, I think that I was playing the best football I'd ever played in my career because that was the fittest I'd ever been. So I think your fitness levels go up as well. And the better positions you're playing against, your standard goes up as well. I think we get a bit stale. And Undoubtedly, think, yeah. yeah. And I think that helps Jersey, to be honest, because I know Jersey get a lot of um, people that move over from Scotland, England, Wales. The greater churn of players, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of uh, they're playing at a better level in Jersey. They're coming over to Jersey. That brings their game up. We're very much playing Marathi. You've got 10 Jersey players and one from England or wherever. Well, one final key question I think we need to ask before we end this is um, if you'd have been suddenly um, deposited on the sister island and you couldn't have come home, would you have played for Jersey? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was one occasion they... <laughs> It was mentioned about a joint Channel Island team. And at the time, I was a captain of the Guernsey team. I still wouldn't have done it. <laughs> no. <laughs> How the hell can I pull a jersey shirt on? <laughs> you couldn't do it. Eh? You yeah. just couldn't do it. A, a red and green jersey. Oh, incredible. Well, I had a little bit of a coaching stint as well for the Marathi side with Phil Corbett. And we lost two Marathis and won one. We did three. And after the third one, I bailed out. I couldn't do it anymore. Because we got beat and it didn't hurt the players enough. But it hurt you. Oh, bloody, you still, games now you lost, now you think about. And they'd be 20 minutes after losing to Marathi. Let's get down the pub and shut some beers down our neck. I couldn't cope with that. And I thought, it's hurting me as an assistant coach more than it's hurting the players. Can't do it. Well, Chris, thanks very much for coming along here today and discussing your career because it was a great career. So, um, well done. Thank you. Much yeah, thanks, appreciate. Chris. Thanks, much appreciated. Thank you. Chris Dyer chatting to Rob and I there. Really, uh, really fun to speak to him. And uh, amazing to hear that, yeah, he says not a day goes by that he doesn't think about the Marathi, which, um, yeah, obviously it's uh, had a huge impact on his life and, and, and you know, yeah, still wrangles probably those moments. We could certainly do with some Chris Dyers around these days, both in club football and in the Ireland team. Um, you know, whilst I'm not for one minute, suggesting that our representative side lacks character, but, boy, he had it in spades, and, we, you know, he would have walked into a GFC team.
Well, that's just about it from us. Just a quick mention for Mayor Letizia, who was out in action on live on the BBC, on BBC Two yesterday afternoon, taking on Manchester United in the uh, WSL. A 2-0 defeat in the end for a Brighton side, but she got a big build-up um, in the pre-match chat. Uh, Farah Williams, former Reading and England player, uh, saying that she thinks that Mayor is the only player around that's going to push Lucy Bronze in terms of the England setup. Wow. Someone uh, who will go on to have a, a big international career. So, um, yeah. We, we almost mention Mayor every week and um, you know, she's clearly doing so much right and making some massive impressions uh, over in the English women's game. So, uh, yeah, fantastic to see. And here's to a big 2022 uh, for her. Rob, this is the last football show of the year. We'll be back in the new year. As you say, there are a few games next Saturday, but they're a little bit too close for Christmas for us, I think. We'll be, well, I'll be off, certainly. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll be back in January with plenty more and uh, there is lots to look forward to. We'll be back on Thursday with a, a general sports show and we'll have a review of the year coming up for you um, between Christmas and New Year. So do keep an eye out for that. Don't forget to follow us on social media at GSY Press Sport on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And do pick up a paper at six days a week for all the very best local sports coverage. Thanks very much, Rob. Cheers, Tone.